There's some life in here this morning. All right. For those of you that are uh, watching on live stream, you might not catch the, the audience uh, stuff. I hope there's some life going on at, at home as well. Maybe it's the sunny weather or whatever it is, but uh, it is good to be here. It is good to be together, and it is good to be worshiping Jesus uh, this morning. We are in a series that is called Faithfulness, and we are looking at the faithfulness of God through the book of, Revela- of eh, Revelation 2, I guess, but today we'll look at Exodus. Exodus is the book where we see God set free the Israelites from Egypt. He develops them into a nation, and then he brings them into the promised land. Now, today I'm going to be looking at some of the New Testament similarities that are all over in this story. In the New Testament, Jesus sets us free from sin, adopts us as his child, and declares that we are made holy and then promises that we will enter his kingdom. My hope for us today is that we will hear the connections between the Old Testament Israelites and the New Testament church, including us today, and that we will recognize the power and the plan that God has throughout history. Specifically, for those of you who like to take notes, there are three points. You can write them down now. God initiates our salvation, God gives us identity, and he sends us out as a blessing into the world. And hopefully, hopefully you'll see that pattern of the New Testament uh, and the Old Testament that is, that is there. Uh, the passage today is Exodus chapter 19. It's a significant moment in Israel's history. For those of you that have Bibles, you have your app on you, you can open up your Bible, you're allowed to read your Bible in church, even while the pastor is preaching. Uh, So open up your Bibles, go to Exodus chapter 19, and this is a key passage uh, to be reading through. So if, if you've got my three points already and you're ready to go home, you can just read the passage. For those of you that look for extra credit... And you're kind of like, okay, this, this message is getting a little repetitive here. Uh, the extra credit is how many times does Moses go up and down the mountain in Exodus 19? You can be reading and try and think of that. I'm not addressing it this morning. You can do that on your own if, if you find more benefit in that than what I'm saying. So the Israelites are about to receive the Ten Commandments. Uh, that happens in chapter 20, uh, the, big, the big ten. Uh, But even though we're more familiar probably with the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, than Exodus 19, that doesn't mean that this passage isn't important. For the Israelites, they would have seen this passage, Exodus 19, as the the fulfillment of God's promise to their ancestor Abraham. And this passage is probably more important in the forming of Israel than the Ten Commandments. This This is a big one. So, Let's give you a little bit of context. A few weeks ago, I spoke on Exodus chapter 3, the story of Moses and the burning bush. Moses, uh, God meets Moses, and he tells him that he will be with him, and that he will bring the Israelite people out of Egypt and worship God on the same mountain that they are now in, in chapter 19. In chapter 3, for those of you that are a little bit confused, it's called Mount Horeb, Here it's Mount Sinai, same thing. Don't get confused. You can do your own research on that as to why the two different names are used. So for Moses, here in Exodus 19, he's back in a familiar place. This is where God had met him in the burning bush. God has now fulfilled his promise, 
He delivered the people of Israel out of Egypt, and Moses is now back with the Israelites, worshiping God on the mountain. So, if you're a checklist person, check that one off the list. Moses has now accomplished the, that, first, that first task. But God has far more planned. He's now going to speak to the people and remind them of how this fits with his original promise to their ancestor, Abraham. So now we have to go back even further than Exodus chapter 3. Now we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis 12, 1 to 3. This is where God chooses Abraham, and God's promise was to make Abraham's descendants a great nation, and that through this nation, the whole world would be blessed. That's what the Israelites are about to hear in Exodus 19. But let me read it to you uh, right from Genesis chapter 12. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So to understand the book of Exodus, we need to keep in mind that God is keeping his promise to Abraham. God is faithful. We can see that God has a plan for Abraham's descendants, and that he is going to ensure that this happens. So let's get into Exodus 19. I'm going to focus on verses 3 to 6 today. The rest of you that are going for extra credit can read the rest. But I'm going to read uh, Exodus 19, 3 to 6. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt. And how I carried you out on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So in Exodus 19, God says, I've delivered you from slavery. Now keep my commands. And there's an important order here that you'll notice. And this is the, the first point that I said, that God initiates salvation. So God, this is what God doesn't do. God doesn't just show up to them in Egypt while they're, while they're still slaves and give them the, the commandments there as slaves and, and say, okay, you need to follow these and then I'll deliver you if you do a good enough job, then I'll deliver you out of slavery. Some sort of conditional salvation. Here, you're in slavery, do all these, follow these Ten Commandments, and then if you're good, I'll deliver you. No. God took the initiative to set his people free. And then as a response to God's initiating salvation, then he says, as a response, now come and obey as a response to their freedom, as a response to their deliverance, as a response to their salvation, they were to follow his ways. But the freedom was unconditional. 
This is an important part of our understanding of God, both in the Old Testament and, and in the New Testament, that God takes the initiative. God initiates our salvation. There was only one act that the Israelites actually needed to do to be set free. The only one thing for salvation, the only one thing they could do for deliverance. Anyone know what it is? They had to have faith. Faith that God would fight off the Egyptians. Faith that God would hold back the water of the Red Sea. He would bring them through it. And by faith, that's all that's needed to be free. So, first point, God initiates salvation. And God makes this group of slaves into a nation. Then they have identity. They are now his treasured possession. They are his children. They are no longer unidentified slaves, but they're now a nation with identity. The Israelites are God's chosen ones. Out of all the nations, they are the chosen ones of God. God chose Abraham and his descendants to be his treasured possession. One commentator talked about uh, being brought out on, on eagle wings um, as eagles being powerful protectors. And God's treasured possession would be like an eagle protecting her young or protecting the weak. I, I think our culture would be mama bear syndrome. We have a few of you out in the audience. Mama bears, they love their cubs and they are fierce and they will fight off any threat against them. So God initiate salvation, and he gives them identity, and they are his, they are chosen, and what for? To go and bless the world, to go and impact the world, to go and reveal God to the nations. In the original promise to Abraham, God says that his people would be a blessing to the world. This shows God's heart for all people. God doesn't just love Israelites. God doesn't just love Christians. God doesn't just love those who attend church on Sunday morning. God has a heart for the whole world. For God so loved the world, John 3.16. And here in Exodus 19, God calls them to be priests. God calls them to be holy. God calls them to be set apart, to be separate from the world. So what's the role of a priest? What does a priest do? Well, priests bring God to the people. Later in the Old Testament, it was the priests who carried the presence of God on the tabernacle. Priests performed sacrifices for forgiveness. Priests taught people about God. Priests bring God and people together. And that's the role that he is calling the Israelites to. Here he's saying that the Israelites are going to be priests to the world, to bring God to the world. God has a view to love not just the Israelites, but to reveal himself to the world through them. God's heart is for the whole world, all nations. But Israel needs to listen to his voice and obey. And I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Because in a couple chapters down from this, chapter 19, verse 8, the Israelites say, yes, we will do this. We'll do everything that the Lord has said. And so a process is set up. For God to speak to his people and to give them 
the way that he is wanting them to live out their priestly calling among the nations. And he gives them the Ten Commandments. And then some other commandments as well. And that's the way for them to be a holy nation, set apart from the world as his way for them to live. And through that, he would bless the world and reveal himself to, to uh, the nations. So that's the Israelite version of the story. That's the Old Testament story. God initiates salvation. He gives his people identity. And he sends them out to bless the world. But for those of you that know the New Testament story, or I said that there's a New Testament version of this story, you'll hear a lot of the similarities. The Old Testament is the background, but that's what Jesus worked with. That's what the early church worked with as their history when they were writing, when Jesus was teaching. So uh, Peter, one of the first disciples, he ended up writing uh, some letters to the church, to the converts from Judaism to become Christ followers. And this is what he said in 1 Peter 2.9. Now listen and see if this sounds similar, familiar. Peter says to the church, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, you had no identity, but now you are the people of God. Chosen people, royal priesthood, special possession. This is Peter describing the church, including you and me. Peter's saying that the Israelites in the Old Testament were an image, they were an illustration of what the church of Jesus would actually be. Peter says to, to go and declare the praises. To who? Well, to God. We, we praise God, sure. But declaring them isn't a private thing. Praise is corporate. Declare God's goodness. Declare God's praises to everyone. The role of the church is to tell the world about God, to bring God to the people. The role of priests, we are his priests. We believe all believers have direct access to God and are to bring God to the world. Why? Why do we do this? Because he brought us out of darkness. He brought us out of slavery and he brought us into light. He brought us into freedom. We are to share the good news of what God has done in our life with others. So the, the Israelite story is paralleled to the good news story of Jesus. So if you haven't heard it yet, let me, let me repeat it. Let me, let me bring it all together here. The, like the Israelites who were born into slavery, humanity was born into sin. We were all impacted by Adam and Eve's disobedience in the garden. Humans are slaves to the ways of this world. We don't know any other way. Humans are sinners. We all miss the mark on how God desires for us to live. Paul, in, in Romans chapter 6, calls us slaves to sin. The story of the Israelites coming out of Egypt becomes an illustration of how Jesus took the initiative to rescue us. Jesus didn't say, you know, if you get your life together enough, then I'll save you. You know, if you're being nice, smiling, not cheating on your taxes, working hard, those things won't save you. Jesus came to save us while we were still sinners. 
and all we need is faith in him. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. Grace is unearned favor. There's nothing we can do to receive it. Grace is initiated by someone else. All we can do is accept it by having faith in Jesus. And then, after or by believing in him, he transforms us. And we learn to obey. We learn to submit to his ways. We can't expect people to follow God's ways if they don't believe in him. First believe, then learn to obey. And this is why uh, baptism is for all people as soon as they believe in Jesus. You don't have to have your life and your theology perfect to go through the waters of baptism. You simply need to believe. The root to understanding baptism is connected to the Israelites going through the Red Sea. God set them free. Then they went through the water and then they learned to obey. I'm personally not a big fan of setting a really high bar for what people believe before they're baptized. It ends up that people end up thinking they're not good enough, they're not smart enough, they're not old enough, they're not nice enough, they're not whatever enough to be baptized. And I don't think that's the message of Scripture. Believe and be baptized. And if you want to learn more about this, I have some baptism sessions that are starting in May. I'd love to uh, teach more on this, help you walk through, understand baptism better. Whether you've been baptized or not, you can always sign up for it. Uh, If you're youth, if you're a young adult, uh, you can talk to Chandra. There's some baptism sessions that start today, and uh, you just need to talk to Chandra or uh, talk to one of us if you'd like to uh, learn about that starting this afternoon. I think you get a free lunch if you sign up, so that's just for youth and young adults. So, uh, Jesus initiates our salvation. Then, we accept, when we accept Jesus, we are adopted into his family. We become his treasured possession. We are his child. Romans 8, 14 to 16 says this, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought, you, brought about your adoption to sonship, daughtership, And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. If we're led by the Spirit, we're led out of sin, we're led out of slavery, we're no longer slaves to sin, no longer slaves to this world. We become a child, we become a treasured possession of the king of the universe. When we have faith in Jesus, our identity changes to this treasured possession. It means royal property. We have this royal identity. When we accept Jesus, we become princes. We become princesses of the king of the universe, royal priests. This is why we love fairy tales. This is why we watch Disney movies. It's when the common girl becomes a princess. We all want it. And it's not a fairy tale. It's a real image of our faith. Jesus wants to adopt us as his child and invite us to be part of his kingdom, his royal child, his treasured possession. And so what do we do as 
royal priests and princes and princesses, his treasured possession. How do, we, how do we live? What do we do? We live out our priestly identity to the world. We are to show the world God's goodness. There's many verses on this. I'll pick a common one is, is Matthew chapter 28. Jesus' last words to his disciples before he ascends into heaven. Go, make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So, make disciples of all the nations, all the people of the world, baptize, go through the water, through the Red Sea, and then after that, teach them to obey everything, all the commandments. And right back to what God said to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, I will be with you. God's Spirit will be with us. Princes and princesses of the Most High King are to learn the ways of the King. We are to follow His ways, and that's the Word of God as you open your Bible. How do we live His ways? And in, to save you a little bit of time, I'll summarize the same way that Jesus summarized all the commands. Love God, love your neighbor. That wraps up the whole commands. It's, it's God's will for all his people to believe in his son, Jesus. Believing that Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, that's Easter, believing that makes us holy. And that's what's needed to be set free from sin and death. Faith. Sacrifices were offered in the Old Testament as ways to receive forgiveness of sins. But when Jesus came he was the perfect final sacrifice. Hebrews 10.10 says, We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Being good, doing the right things, that won't save us. We only need to have faith in him. Jesus took the initiative 2,000 years ago. And now we simply need to respond with faith. And we become his treasured possession. We are made holy. We are adopted as children of the king. And we are sent out with the responsibility to live out that identity and declare praise for the God, what God has done in us to the world. And God, the Holy Spirit, will be with us, leading us, and guiding us. Now, for those of you that are reading ahead or know the story, you'll see that the Israelites don't do so well with following God's commands. And as a result, they become a laughing stock among the nations rather than a blessing. And I think this is what happens when the church, the people of God, don't live according to God's ways, when we don't love our neighbors. But because of Jesus' death on the cross, repentance is simple. We don't need to make sacrifices to get back on the right track. Jesus was that sacrifice. We simply need to confess. A prince, a princess, can't lose their identity as a prince regardless of what their behavior is. They might not act very princely or princessly, but they are still a child of the king. And the king is always willing to accept repentant princes and princesses back into relationship to eat with him at his table. So that might be you today. You might not have acted like a treasured possession 
You might not have acted really princely or princessly this past week. Maybe you haven't followed God's ways, and as a result, the world has not experienced who God truly is through you. That's okay. Jesus' sacrifice is for each of us. And we simply invite you to confess, either quietly in your seat, or we'll have a a prayer team up here if you want someone to come up uh, to come and, and pray with. If you're someone who's never responded to God's initiative, and you've never taken that step of faith to accept the gift of freedom that Jesus offers you, if that's you, take a step of faith. You can come forward, you can stay in your seat, tell Jesus that you want to leave your life of slavery to sin behind and become his treasured possession, his child. So I'd like to call the worship team up. We're going to respond. The prayer team, you guys can come up as well and just spread out at the front. And if any of you want to come forward and be prayed for, we'll have two more songs. You can take some time. Uh, Come forward. We'd love to to pray with you. And uh, yeah, let's close together in prayer. Jesus, thank you for taking the initiative to save us. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you for coming to earth while we were still sinners so that you would die for us and save us. Thank you for making us your treasured possession, for teaching us to obey and to follow you. And in those times where we fall so short, Jesus, thank you that you accept us as your children and welcome us back to be in relationship with you at all times. Jesus, help us as the church to be a blessing to the world by showing your love to our neighbors. Jesus, pour out your spirit. We know that you are with us at all times. Pour out your spirit among us. In your name, amen.